Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. Simon here, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by the former world champion boxer, Josh Warrington. Now, Josh has arguably the most important fight of his career against Mauricio Lara on Saturday, September 4th at Headingley Stadium. It is a rematch after Josh suffered a shock defeat to the Mexican in February, the first of his career. Now, the theme of this episode is about making good choices, which is something Josh has done consistently throughout his life and career, even when his mind was telling him he was missing out. We also talk about getting perspective in your life, stopping complaining about things that are really unimportant in the big scheme of things, and why having no regrets when you're older is something worth striving towards. Josh shares some compelling stories about the power of the mind and in particular the power of visualization and we discuss why switching off is so important and why that was a big factor in his shock defeat to Lara during lockdown in February. Now before we get to this episode just a reminder about this week's newsletter in which I talk about a visualization technique I use and how to get out of your own way to allow your nervous system to settle during times of stress. Head to simonmundy.com to sign up for Monday on a Monday. Thanks for your messages about last week's episode with Cal Newport about regaining control of our digital lives to reduce anxiety, improve focus and overall well-being. Let me know what you make of this week's conversation too at Simon Monday on social media. And if you could please share this episode with someone who might enjoy it, or if you could share it on social media, I would be hugely grateful. To this week's episode now, though, and here is Josh Warrington. Josh Warrington, how are you, mate? Very well, Simon. Very well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure having you on. You and I, obviously, we've got a few things in common. First of all, ex-Leeds University student. So we've yeah. got that in common. 
Yeah. WWF fans. <laughs> All right, yeah. Okay. Here's a question for you. Who is your favourite WWF slash WWE wrestler? Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Where does Ric Flair rank? Oh, he's up there, like. He's up there. Probably when the highlight of him was uh, probably a little bit before my time. I had Ric Flair on the podcast. Right. That's a bit of a big name, isn't it? I've never met a character like him. He was absolutely incredible. Did you uh, get him to Um, do the... Woo! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, he filmed a little video of woos for me. No, he's an amazing bloke. So we'll get to the Leeds Uni stuff because I think that's really interesting in a minute as well. But I want to start, Josh, with your love of boxing. I've got a quote of yours here. Yep. And correct me if it's wrong. But it reads, it's a funny old game getting punched in the head for a living. For some reason, it's addictive. When it comes to fighting, I feel so alive. So what is it, do you think, about boxing that gives you that feeling of being so alive? Can you put your finger on it? Um, That's a very good question. Um, I think it's a collective of a few things, to be fair, Simon. I think it's a collective of the adrenaline, the rush. The fact of you're on your own, there's nobody else there with you. You go into combat and it's not just a competition, it's physical competition. It's competition where if you're not up to the plate, then you're going to get hurt. You're going to real feel the effects of it. Not like a, a race if you know you come second, then you, know, you don't get a shiny gold medal. You get a silver instead. If you come second in boxing, then more than likely you'll have had a bust nose, a black eye, and a bit of an hard lesson. It's a rush. It's a complete rush. And now I've had a beer in my life. I've never taken drugs. But uh, I don't think there's anything what I've had what's come come close to the feeling of uh, getting ready for the occasion of walking to the ring, the introductions and that, that split second before that first bell rings. That is something that no other feeling replicates and comes close to it. Um, and that's probably where I'm. that's what I'm talking about when I say there's nothing like it. To what degree do you think it is the fact that you are lost in the moment? You're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about the past. You're completely immersed in the activity itself. As soon as I step off the scales, that's it. I'm zen. I'm kind of there in the moment. So not right now, you know, I've just had kettle on. I've had a cup of tea. I'm here speaking to you. I'm laid back. I might have other appointments on, but... I'm pretty much laid back. If it gets stuck in traffic, I'm stuck in traffic. It's you know, it's what it's fine. When I get off the scales before a fight, that's when I'm the most alive. Because for me, boxing has been a massive, massive part of my life. And it, it's like all my life has been structured around boxing. Apart from a few things like meeting my missus and things like that, even she has had a factor with boxing, she's played her life around boxing as well. So it always comes down to that next fight. And as soon as I get off the scales, then that's it. But in that moment, in that 12 to 24 hours, my senses really pick up. I'm hearing noises. Not like I'm a clairvoyant or anything like that, but I'm a lot sharper. Colours are a lot brighter. It's like I've got just a sudden and slow rush of adrenaline what's constantly teetering through my body. And then uh, I'm just everywhere. I'm absolutely everywhere. Like, I'll go out to, you know, I'll go out in the car, I'll be driving along, I'm alert, I'm looking, checking my mirrors, I'm checking my, checking my surroundings, but I'm just doing what I'm doing. Whereas if I'm driving 
on fight day, I'm all over the place. I can see what uh, an old fella's doing 100, year, uh, 100 uh, metres down the road. As well as ticking all my senses, it's just, it's an unreal feeling. Why do I feel like that? Well, it's how much the fight means to me because I put that much pressure plus focus on that fight. I've been training for months and months and months and it always comes down to that next fight. Nothing else matters after that because in boxing, it's unlike any other sport where if you get beat at Wimbledon, you get next year to have a go at it. If you're losing football, you've got another match next week. If you're getting beat in boxing, you're finished. No matter if it's your first one or not, you're finished. You know, people say so much wrong or he's lost it or whatever. And it can take a long, long time to get, up, uh, to get back. Now, I realise that. I understand that it's a business as well as a sport. So for me, winning is absolutely everything. And that's where it gives me that adrenaline, that rush, that focus, that everything what comes down to that single moment. It's like, I never look past that one night. Sunday doesn't exist. It's just people talk about what they're about doing next week. It, it doesn't exist for me. Because so I've time drops that, away. Yeah, it, it, completely, completely. Everything just stops. And it just, I'm, I, I am fully in that moment. I am fully aware of the whole situation in that moment. It's an interesting thing that I hear a lot speaking to a lot of sports people is that sense of really getting lost in the moment of almost losing your your sense of self in the moment, yes. past, future. So if I think of your, probably your most acclaimed fight in terms of entertainment, so against Carl Frampton, yep. which was the fight of the year, while you were in the middle of that fight, yeah. what is your experience? Because you... You're not thinking about, I imagine, tomorrow night, you're not thinking about yesterday. Are you thinking at all? Um, yeah, you're thinking. You you are definitely thinking. Um it's it's a fine balance because over years and year over years I've 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 learned to, to, to deal with keeping the horse blinkers on and not getting distracted. By the time I had the Carl Frampton fight, to a lot of people it's the first time they've seen me. It's on the big stage, but for myself and a lot of my other fans or followers, should I say, you know, that's 10 years down the line, nine years down the line. So, and I've been in the limelight in, in, in certainly in Leeds for, you know, a good four to five years prior to that. And, you know, I didn't go to, I didn't have no sporting, sporting uh, school on how to deal with the mental side. I've learned on the job. I've learned on the job. So, for instance, I'm going off on a tangent here, but it's giving an idea of a situation. I came through very quickly. I was still working a nine-to-five job when I was European champion. I was headlining shows on Sky Sports on a Saturday night, prime time, and then I was going to work on Monday morning making teeth as a dental technician. So it was unheard of. People were coming to work and saying, you were on telly on weekend. What you, what you doing here? I've been, I've been, this is my day job. And then I've gone from small old shows, fighting in in front of a thousand people in leisure centres, things like that. And then all of a sudden, I'm fighting in the Leeds Arena, ten thousand people. I'm doing national press. I've got like some Leeds United footballers, past and present, doing ring walk for me. Vinnie Jones in one occasion. It's going to get to you eventually, no matter who you are, especially if you've not had like media training or come from that kind of background. So I remember one fight specifically, 2015, 
where I've walked out, all of that build-up, I've been touted as the next Ricky Atten. He's a Ricky Atten of Leeds. He's got this crazy fan base behind him. He's going to go to the top. He's going to emulate what Ricky Atten does. He's only young, but he's already European champion. I was still working. I was having to ask my gaffer if I could have 10 minutes extra on my dinner time because I'm doing an interview with Oxby and Jacobs on Talk Sport. You know, <laughs> that's the scenario I was at. So I, I'm, I'm still going from a day-to-day basis. Next minute, I'm doing documentaries for Ringside. Sky Sports News are doing inter- interviews with me. And I find myself walking to the ring with 10,000 people in Leeds Arena. Massive pressure on my shoulder. Now, one, in the, one of them fights in particular stands out for me where I was thinking about so many factors in that fight. I'm looking at my man in the corner. I'm thinking I need to beat him, obviously. And normally, all the things that I think of, you know, what's he going to do with the boxing side of it? What's he going to do after this shot? What am I going to do if I throw this shot? Um, but then I'm thinking about what could come after this fight for me? What could come for my career, financial, profile? I'm thinking about how I'd fancy a McDonald's after this fight. <laughs> all these different things are going through my head. And really? then halfway through the fight, I'm winning the fight comfortably. But I noticed the crowd have gone a bit quiet. And uh, I'm thinking, why has the crowd gone quiet? There's 10,000 here that were roaring three rounds ago. Now they've gone quiet. I, I think they need. I think I need the knockout. I need to be more entertaining. So I'm pushing so hard. By the end of the fight, mate, I was absolutely exhausted. Now, I won the fight on all judges' scorecards. And I won it quite comfortably. But, uh, but the, the pundits absolutely roasted me. They said that I was reckless. They said I didn't look at the races. And they said that if I was to go forward, then I need to change something in my game plan. Now, we came away from that fight and analysed things as a, as, 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 a, as a team. And I started to work on really putting the horse blinkers on and just focusing on the moment and the, just the man in front. And a lot of things like meditation, visualisation, things like that all come into play. And the next fight I had was a tougher opponent but, and there were like, I think there were about 8,000 people in the ring that time, but we could have just fought behind closed doors. It felt like nobody there. And I've tried to adopt that um, mindset into every single fight I've had since that. But there is times when, you know, you, you forget yourself and you can hear the crowd. So going back to your, your, you know, your question there with Carl Frampton, I was in there and I was focused, but then after around four or five rounds with an explosive fight, uh, explosive start. The fans are going absolutely berserk. There's 20,000 in Manchester. He's got 10,000. I've got 10,000. And there's, there's there's pockets of that where I can hear his fans. And there's pockets of it where I can hear my fans. And there is times when I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is this is absolutely fantastic. I'm having an absolute barnstorming with, with, you know, with a form pound for pound great, you know, in Carl. Um, and I'm, but I'm loving myself. But then it's like, right, get get back switched on. So you do teeter in and out of it. But I think over the years I've learned to, you know, stay pretty strict on it. So sometimes you're really in the moment, and then sometimes your mind does wonder, which is which is natural, of course. Uh, that, that's interesting. And something I really like about about you and Carl, and Carl's been on, and he's uh. He's a really nice down-to-earth guy and 
I think both of you share that in common, that humility. Yeah. And I think I think in in boxing and in a lot of sports, particularly boxing though, let's say, where there is some people feel that they need to understandably perhaps sell the fight, drum up a bit of noise around it. But with you and Carl, there was that respect, that humility. You're both down to earth and you have that in common. And I really admire that. I admire that with any sports person who's achieved great things. The people I admire most are the ones who are humble with that. Yeah. That applies to any other area of life as well. So anyone who has major success but stays humble. And you and Carl have that in common. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I think um, you know, Carl comes from a working class background. I come from a working class background. Where you come from can have a lot to do with it. But me and Carl have, uh, you know, we just keep things as humble. We don't, we don't have that second persona or that or, um, metamorphosis kind of persona where we become a different character. What you see is kind of what you get. And um, but I think boxing's got a funny way of doing that. I think maybe if you speak to people's dads or granddads, you know, who used to have a scrap on the cobbles back in the day. Normally, after a, a, or even as a kid, you have a scrap in the playground. If you've had a an hard battle, then you you get back up and you shake hands. I think you know a lot of the time these days is about oh, we'll get we'll go get our pals and get revenge. You know, boxing it humbles you because of you're getting an hard lesson, you're getting physical punishment at the time, and it's an art and it's a science. But it is a it is a very hard sport at the same time, and a lot of boxers, you know, the most percentage of boxers come from working class backgrounds and I think the difference between that and maybe if like footballers and stuff is we don't have academies and stuff around us where you have agents and everything else doing absolutely everything for you I, like I said to you earlier we, a lot of us work full-time jobs and we get to we get to an high level one, one of my pals has, has pointed out in past where he said that Boxing's a funny sport because you, you can be the one where you're headlining shows, but you might not be able to afford the, the Sky sub- subscription. You look at darts players or golf players or tennis players, you think any one of them could afford able to afford the Sky bill a month, but some fighters on there only fighting every once every three months probably can't afford to do that. So it does keep you humble. How much do you value humility more broadly? Because after your shock defeat against Maurizio Lara, which yeah. we'll come to in a bit. And obviously yeah. you've got a very good chance, shall we say, of getting revenge. Yeah. And I've got my theories as well about what happened there, but we'll get to them <laughs> later, all right? Okay, man. But obviously the um, all the messages you got from your fans, I know you prefer to sort of call them people rather than fans as well, which I think sort of says a lot. Because like, if I get emails from people who listen to the podcast and they say they enjoy it, to me, they're no less important than the people I speak to. I think everyone's on a par. Yeah, and and I think as lo- when you don't lose sight of that, that, okay, you might have achieved whatever in life, but that doesn't make you any more important than the guy next door who's got a paper round. Do you know what I mean? And that seems to be a, a value and an attitude that you have. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. You know, keeping myself grounded, working as, as, as you know, long as I did do. I only quit work like five, six years ago. The people I have around me, my old fella, He's my main trainer, but he's he's very very open and honest honest with me as well. My friends, they still take the mick out of me. There's no, I don't have I don't have too many yes men around me, you know, and and, and that helps. Which that is helps. really important, that, yeah, isn't uh, it? Definitely, yeah, definitely. That's... You need you need to have some truths because you can run away with yourself. 
you can run away with yourself just getting carried away yeah. with with fame with people wanting you when you become a product you know you, it's easy to think that you're bigger than yeah, everyone yeah. else but same time like i do a lot of work yeah, you with, start to believe it yeah, yeah of course yeah but then at the same time i do a lot of work with um charities and now not because you see a lot of people who do work for charities because it, it raises a profile makes them look good makes them look good where you're uh you go along to a, an hospital and post some pictures and blah 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 and yeah right have we done now yeah fair enough put let me put that on instagram yeah bang on look at that look how good i am it's a bit fake, isn't it? You know, it's just like half assed, you know. But I, I do it because you know, I can put a smile on, on on people's faces here. I do a lot with like children's charities. Um, I'm an ambassador of many children's charities. Cause for me, children, uh, you know, they, they should be just out playing rather than having to deal with problems they are doing, whether it's cancer or heart problems or whatever it is. I've seen also over, over years. But little things like that, just going on visiting the hospitals keeps you grounded. And then when you see and speak to likes of nurses and doctors who either are just starting a 12-hour shift after just finishing a 14-hour shift, gone home and had six hours sleep and then come back in, and they're saving people's lives. And then you come away and you think, what is it all about? We are heroes, you know? And I some people say, oh, you're a legend, Josh, you're a legend. Mate, I are a legend. Get yourself down to St. James's Hospital. Get yourself down to Leeds General Infirmary and you'll see wards of, of, of legends right there who don't get the same perks. So I, I often think like that, you know what I mean? And that's what, uh, yeah. if I ever start thinking like, oh, you know, like I've got a bit of my ship on my shoulder, just remind myself of things like that. And uh, sometimes you forget about that because... Maybe you haven't been to hospital in a long time or maybe you don't, you know, people are just happy and healthy. But there comes to that stage where something might happen to a, a friend or a family or even yourself. And all of a sudden, everything gets put out a window. You know, the people who you think you're heroes aren't your heroes no more. And it's like little people like that, your everyday folk or your, or your real heroes, you know. Just wondering then, in terms of the value you get from going to hospitals like that, if someone was feeling really down in the dumps, let's say they were feeling a bit sorry for themselves, yeah. would you encourage someone like that to go and and volunteer, to go and go to a hospital like this, to give back? Does it give you that lift? Does it give you that sense of perspective? Does it give you a sort of sense of intrinsic reward? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And I've I've said that for many time and, and <laughs> I can't hear anyone carry on about silly little things ever again because it winds me up. I can hear people carrying on about the littlest of things, you know, even, oh, I need these new pictures, or I've got an flat tire on my car, and it's like, listen, you you know, oh, yeah, it's a little bit upsetting, but you shouldn't really deter your emotions too much. And often I think to myself, when people are carrying on, just come down to the hospital with me. Come down to me at the hospital, and that will really put, life into perspective how lucky you are or you know you might think oh i don't have much or i don't have a, a nice car as what they do or i don't have nice trainers or what they do be grateful for what you've got be grateful if you've if you've got a pair of trainers or if you can put a meal in your belly you know if you've got a, if you've got a nice house i've got friends and family around you how many people do we know who suffer from depression because well you probably don't know because it's to keep themselves quiet but because they're not speaking to, to other folk, they're not having interaction. 
no, like I say, I go down to the, the hospitals and I see I see kids smiling and happy and they're going in for life-changing operations the next day. And I've walked in with my shiny belt and I'm and I'm looking at the parents and the parents are putting on a brave face and now just becoming a parent myself. I'm like, I can't believe how they do it, you know, how, how strong they are. But I, I look at the kids and I come over, hello, I'm Josh Warrington, there's my shiny belt, I look at you, I do a bit of boxing and I look at them and the, the, they're not biting an eyelid what's going on to them. You know, they, they, I've gone to cancer wards and stuff and see kids who've been through Ellen back, but they've still got a smile on their face. And it's like, wow. Wow, it really makes you put life into perspective. You know, I remember going to um, the art ward at um, Leeds General Infirmary um, a few years ago. I was having a visit on one of the wards and I went into one of the, the intensive care wards and I went to I went over to a, a dad who was sat bedside by his, his kid and it was a bit of a delicate situation, but I just, I'd asked what's going on and if he was okay. And he said, you know, his, his kid, he dropped him off that morning and uh, he was setting off to work and about 10 minutes after leaving school, he got a, a phone call from the school and his six-year-old boy had had an heart attack in, in playground and there they were sat in hospital. And it's like, wow, how, how your life can suddenly flip. So, I feel like I'm going right. I feel like I'm going pretty deep here, but I think uh, certainly when you visit places like that, then it doesn't have put things into into perspective of what's really important. You know, little things like just living, breathing, and and having the little things what we take for granted, good health, food in our bellies. Don't take little things like that for granted because people would absolutely give anything to just be in that situation. Yeah, I don't think you can get much more of an important point, actually, than what you've just said there. Just getting a bit of perspective. We're so determined to keep up with the Joneses and we we are so inclined to compare ourselves to people, particularly around us. But like you say, there are people out there who would just love to have health yeah, and we can easily lose sight of that. I want to now then just ask you as well, Josh, I'll take you back a little bit because obviously, so you grew up on a, on a council estate in Leeds. Yes. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, shall we say, bad behaviour in on your council estate. I know there was, you know, people getting up to mischief. So when boxing found you, how easy did you find it to resist temptations that were around you? And what advice would you have for anyone in a similar position? Because I know, and I want to come to you, the quote that the mate of yours said when you were 22, which was really formative. But I know, we all know, when your mates are out doing something, it's that fear of missing out or whatever. Yeah, of course. It's, su- yeah. it's such a human, normal reaction. Yeah. So you must have had that. But how did you keep focused throughout that whole time? So um, boxing, I'd been doing it as a young age um, from around six or seven. But um, at that age, you kind of dibbling and dabbling in and out of it, you know. Um, going to gym, like, oh, I don't want to go tonight. I don't want to go play out with my friends. I think you got to my stage, stage where my old fella said, listen, if, you, if you're going to do it, you do it or you don't do it. Don't waste my time taking you down to the gym. Don't waste the people who, who train you. Don't waste their time as well. So you do it or you don't. So I kind of got regi- myself regimented into, into going to, to boxing, to going to training three times a week. I felt like I couldn't give it up. When I wasn't doing it, I missed it. And obviously there were times as a young kid where you just wanted to play out in this day. Then you you start high school around 11, 12, 13, 14. It's an age where adolescent years, everyone's growing at different rates. Um, 
it's an experimenting time, isn't up to it? All you know? sorts, yeah. yeah, of course, of course. And <laughs> no, I grew up in not the most glamorous, glamorous of areas in Leeds. Now, the lads who I hung about with, it was always in the area. And at 14, 15, they were doing all sorts drinking, smoking, taking odd recreational. And in a big circle, it's easy to get drawn into that. And I seen it first I seen it first hand. The most talented footballers who wouldn't say boost to a goose or or wouldn't ever curse in front of their mum and dad all of a sudden become a bad man or didn't mind doing whatever. And I don't know if I had a wise head on, on, on young shoulders. I do I, have to, I do often think like that, but I was always looking down the line and in the diagram in your head you've got to make maybe way up. Well, how will this affect me? instantly now how is it going to affect me long term that's how I used to kind of look at things so for instance you go to an house party on a Friday Saturday night mum and dad have gone away for a weekend some young lad's got keys to his house that's it they're all they're getting his older brother to go to local Tesco's all getting a little bit drunk a little bit tipsy and they're getting their older brother to go get him a pack of fags and whatever you know a couple of smokes and, and it's all going off but for myself and I hung around with that circle, but it was like, I looked and I weighed up. Now, I remember having a little drink as a kid, but I didn't like the experience of throwing up the next day. You know, I watched other people smoke and I, went, and I thought to myself, why is he doing that? He's always talked about how he detests smoking, his mum and dad smoked, he didn't like it. All of a sudden he's smoking. Why is he doing that? And weigh it up. Well, he's, he's smoking because he wants to fit into that circle. Well, if, if that's only way the reason that they consider him as a friend because of smoke, then then I don't, I don't want to be in that circle. A lot of times, a lot of lads are, are young about with as well. I could kind of see straight through them. You know, a lot of lads felt that they were they put themselves on a pedestal as this lad because they had an older brother or an older cousin who was cocker at estate who could have a bit of a scrap. So if any time trouble come on it on his toes. And he'd just phone his older brother or he'd go get his older cousin and then you wouldn't mess with him because you'd be messing with his older brother and cousin. So he thought he were he thought it were a god. You know, he thought he couldn't be messed with. Or there'd be another cool lad on the state who always had the smart trainers and smart coat and smart jacket and brand new phone. Yeah, you know, and he could take the mick out of you because he had a brand new gear and you didn't have it. But then I'd wait up again. Well, in five years' time, when we get to like 18, 19, is your brother still going to be looking after you and coming to deal with your problems? Is your mum still going to be buying you brand new trainers, brand new phones, brand new coats? So that was where I was able to see past who the cool kids were. You know, don't get me wrong, I was eyeing about with all these people, but I quickly realised that was it doing me any favours? So I changed my circle from then and I started hanging out in different, in different areas. You know, things are all going to benefit me. And it sounds like a bit selfish, but... I see it all the time and I, and I hear it all the time and especially when I go for talks with kids and I see it with young kids where they're easily led and vulnerable because maybe an older kid might have, have them doing this and other. Maybe something illegal, so maybe something naughty. They're doing it to fit in. When, if it's not benefiting you, then why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? And, and even when you're getting older, if you've got toxic friends or if they've got them friends in your life what are constantly mourning or sulking or carrying on about situation 
get them out of your life, man, because there's plenty of people who will want to speak to you, who want to be friends, who have similar interests in you. I mean, there's like 63 million people in England alone. You know, there's plenty of people out there that you can speak to. Maybe in an older age, maybe a younger age, but there might be similar characters out to you out there. So you can make that change. You can make that change. And I realise realize that as a, as a young lad that I had different goals of where I wanted to be in life. I didn't want to be hanging about on street corners when I was 17, 18. I wanted to have, by that age, I thought that I might have a few good grades under my belt. I thought I might be working and I'd be probably looking to where I want to go over career. Whereas these lot, they're the life of hustling for the rest of the life, you know what I mean? Or maybe yeah. relying on the mums or older brothers. You are right. You did clearly have and has have always had a wise head on your shoulders. I think to clock or have that attitude at a young age is is rare. But I think for anyone young, perhaps listening to this, it's such a valuable outlook because uh, as anyone above the age of 25, 35 in my case and the rest, um, <laughs> <laughs> and knows time flies. Yes. That time absolutely and, flies. And, and I'll tell you a quick, sorry, Sam, I'll tell you a quick story of that because when, when I often wonder why I had like a bit of a, Maybe a bit of serious headers on young shoulders. Um, but I remember as a young amateur, as when I used to box. Now, as a young amateur, you used to fight all over the country. You know, you'd fight in these little working men's clubs. You know, some areas glamorous, some of them little towns, some big cities. Um, these were the days when you'd like to smoke in these working men's clubs when they were packed out. When the working men's clubs were working men's clubs, and they'd have a, they'd have. Um, They'll have a boxing ring in one of the main halls, and you know there'd be a, there'd be a, a fog of smoke over the ring because everyone were you know puffing away and then having the pints. And you know, as a young lad, I'd have a fight, I'd get out the ring, I'd go get my trophy, you know, win or lose. And nine times out of ten, someone would always collar me, and it'd always be an older gentleman. Sometimes it'd be an older woman, but it'd always hear the same thing. Hey, young, come here, come here, youngun. So I'd go over, shy a little bit, you know, my trophy, and they'd say, "Hey, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. I tell you, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing all right, kid. You're doing all right." And I'd hear that a lot, and I'd often hear as well. Listen, if I'd have my time again, I'd be doing what you're doing. You know, often some people would say, "Eh, I ended up getting with this and hold up a pint glass or." Uh, then I met these lot and point to the group of the friends or they say, oh, she dragged me down, you know, pointing to the missus. But I'd hear it a lot and I'd, I'd say to my dad, I said, Dad, why are all these people always saying this? I, I have, He said it again to me tonight. I, I hear it all the time. Every time I go to a show, I always, they always say to me, stick what you're doing, it, it goes fast. What do they mean? He says, listen, you won't realise it because you, you're only young. But when you get to a certain age, life just goes a lot faster. And he said, before you know it, you've got everything in front of you. All your life in front of you, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do that. Before you know it, you settle down, you've got an house, and all your dreams and aspirations have disappeared. So he said, whatever you do, make sure you grasp it right there and then. And I've kind of taken that from a younger age. And I've obviously, I've, I've thanked all them, them fellas in the working men's clubs back in the day for giving me that. <laughs> I'd say I really respect your dad and the relationship you had with your dad because obviously he's been he's been your trainer the whole way through and I think it speaks volumes that you 
um, ignored people who said, oh, you need a new trainer, you need someone with more experience, and, and you ignored that. So you're obviously really good at, at listening to your own intuition, but I, I think it really speaks volumes for the relationship you had that these kind of conversations that are really valuable conversations and that you actually took them on board. And can you just share the story as well of when you were 22 and your mates were going out on the toot and you were said to them, oh, you know, I wish I could be joining you. And, w- and one of them came around, turned around and, and said something that really stuck with you and, and really perhaps hammered home that lesson that all the working men, all the chaps in the working men's club had said. Can you just share that story? Because I think it's it just really reinforces what you just said. Yeah, no problem. So um, I was at a stage of uh, stage of life, 20, young prime, 21, 21, 21, 22 year old. You know, I had quite a bit going for me. I was working as a dental technician four days a week. I was... Uh, a day release at Leeds University, studying dental technology. I'd fallen into that job because I wanted to be a professional boxer, but professional boxing at the, the bottom of the chain, there's no money in it really. So financially, I couldn't support my, my training and everything else going forward without a day job. So I had also, my old fellow said to me, you need someone to fall back on. And uh, at school, I was quite... I was quite well academically, so you know, I fell into this job as a dental technician. I started working, and the gaffer said to me, "Listen, if you're gonna, if you want to progress in this field, you're gonna have to get qualified in it." So I ended up going to Leeds University doing a four years career, uh, four year um, course in it. So, eighteen, I've turned pro. I'm working as a dental technic- uh, technologist. Um, by the time, time I got to twenty one, twenty two. Um, around three, three years deep as a professional boxer, four years deep as a professional boxer, I'm more or less ready to fight for titles, but not quite there. I'm building a bit of a name for myself, you know, amongst little circles in Leeds, but nothing, nothing ridiculous. I'm getting odd little column in Yorkshire Evening Post, the Leeds local paper, but... Not not like big broadsheets. I'm not in back page Yorkshire even Post quite yet. And my life at that moment in time is go to work four days a week, go to Leeds University one day a week. I either go running before work, go work, then I train after, or I go to work, I train, and if I'm not training, I'm out trying to promote myself, that being selling tickets, going around the pubs of Leeds, putting posters up, meeting people in different circles, telling everyone about myself. Do you like boxing? Yeah, yeah. you used to watch the Islands of Ben and Chris Eubank. Yeah, well, I'm from Leeds. I'm trying to put Leeds on the map. I do that most days a week. And in between all that, I was trying to have a relationship with my now wife, Natasha. And in also in that time, I was I was you know doing um, 3,000 to 5,000 word essays on dental technology and anatomy of the jaw and <laughs> anatomy of um, materials, what was made to make teeth. And wow, we were, it was all overwhelming for me. And it was a time when I had no free time to myself and I was constantly on the rush, constantly 10 minutes late, wherever I went, always stuck in traffic, ah, battling traffic. I need to get, I need to get this next destination. Right, I finished training. 
right, I better get myself in bed because I've got to get up for a run next morning or I've got work next morning. Going to work, absolutely knackered with black eyes. Going to lectures, falling asleep in lectures because I've only had like six hours sleep and I've just I've just been helping someone who's fighting for a European title and I've done 12 rounds with them the night before and now I'm studying, listening to a two-hour lecture like in a dark room. <laughs> and, it, and it was a stage when I was getting ready for a fight and I was out selling tickets because... Without building a fan base, you know, you, there's like I said, there's no money in it. So you've got to you've got to create money to have people attend to watch you. Now that'll help pay for it'll pay for your opponent, and maybe if you're lucky, you might get a wage out of it yourself. But it's not glamorous at the lower level, believe me. And uh, I remember dropping um, some tickets off to one of my pals who I went to uh, school with, and I remember saying to him. You're looking forward to, to that party this weekend? And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought, you, you don't sound that enthusiastic about it. You know, everyone's going to to, to this big party. I think it would be someone's 21, 21st birthday and they'd rented out one of the big um, one of the big clubs in Leeds. And I think they had a, a rich uncle or someone who'd look, probably looked after them. You know, they were having a top-class DJ look after them and blah, blah, blah. So everyone, everyone I knew was going but myself. And I was gutted about that because everyone on Facebook were talking about it. Everyone on, you know, group texts and that were talking about it. And I was gutted. Like, everyone I was dropping tickets off were going. And I, I said to this lad, I said, are you not excited? You know, he said, yeah, never mind that. I was training going, looking forward to it. I didn't want to talk about training. I wanted to know what, how, he, his, how he was getting prepared for this party, how excited and what he was going to wear and how he was going to look forward to it. But all he wanted to do was, was there about how my training's going in preparation. And he cut me off a little bit. He said, listen, Josh, you keep going on about this party and like you seem more ex- excited about this and p- apart from your fight. And I said, listen, I'm just, I'm just, I just wish I could be there, to be honest with you. You know, I've got me. He said, never mind that. He says, it'll be the same old. He says, we've been doing the same old since 18 year old. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Same face, same old faces. Again, this party is going to have the same old faces, doing the same old stuff, talking about the same old things. Yeah, you know, might have a little dance in that, but we've been doing it for last four years. Look what you're doing. You're doing something with your life. It's, it means something. It says any one of us would give whatever to, to be in your position. Look at me. I could have played football. Look at me now. I've lost my, I've let my career go. He said, be proud, Josh, because we all are. We're all proud of how dedicated you, you've been throughout. And you know what? Right at that moment in time, it gave me the boost I needed. Because at that time, I was sat at, I was sat at work at, and there were times in lectures, I was thinking, what is this all about? I'm, I'm putting all my time into absolutely everything. You know, I'm, I still, I've got another year and a half of uh, university. You know, my, my work... I'm doing all right, but I don't feel like I'm climbing ladder. My fights, I keep getting told that I'm going to be fighting for, for titles, but it's, it seems like a million miles away. It's like, what is it all about? I'm just, I'm not getting any further forward. But that talk, what he gave to me, especially with the lad being at my age and come from the same background as myself, it was a massive kick up the ass what I needed right there and then. And you know what? It gave me the energy. To get me head down for the rest of um, for that remaining year and a half of university, so I went on to graduate, 
And same year as, as I went on to graduate, I got a shot of the English title. And then my fan base had really grown up, blew up from there. And next thing I know, I'm 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 selling out the local Leeds Town Hall, fighting in front of five or six thousand people. And it was all worth it, but I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for the energy that he gave me in that moment in time. Just a reminder of, you know, you can get lost on your own little journey and think that you're not progressing anywhere because a lot of time people want overnight success. They want to be at the top of the tree in whatever business or, or job sector they're doing, but it doesn't always work like that. And there is an, a long slog, but, you know, put, you know, sometimes you need to pull yourself out of a situation or maybe speak to your friends and, 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 and have their opinion on it. And and that certainly for me was, you know, a great opinion. He was proud of what I was doing. He he, he emphasised to me what he couldn't do and what many, many others couldn't do was stay dedicated and stay disciplined and, and have that same work ethic. I, I often remind him of that when I see him, of how we, uh, yeah. how we kept me straight. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. No, I think that's such a powerful anecdote. And, and it reminded me of a couple of conversations I've had on, on this podcast. I remember speaking to James Kerr, who wrote the book Legacy, which... Uh, yes, yeah, uh, I the book. Yeah, amazing book, right? And it's yeah, about brilliant. the All Blacks and what their culture and why they're so successful. And I remember something he told me is, imagine you're chipping a, a big block of rock, right? And you've got a hammer and you've got a chisel and you're tapping away, tapping away. And on the hundredth tap, the rock breaks. But it wasn't that hundredth tap that did it. It was the 99 before where you didn't feel you were getting anywhere. So that was one thing. There was another guy I spoke to, John Kerwin, Sir John Kerwin, knighted for services to mental health, another All Black, funnily enough. And he, um, when he was learning to be a decent rugby player, he struggled to change direction at speed. And his dad said, are you willing to pay the price? 
And basically he went out and trained, but his dad made him work extra. And he's like, if you want to put in that effort, you've got to pay the price somewhere else. So it's it's like priorities and, and sacrifice. And even in my own life, I, I've, I've mentioned before that I, I was doing sales for a long time. And then when I wanted to get back into broadcasting and radio, I had to take a job on a Saturday where I worked for free for a year alongside my normal job. So it's a little bit like yours, but not quite as yeah. intense. But, you know, I was giving up my social life and actually it was costing me money. I wasn't earning money. It was costing me money. And then at the end of that year, it was a long year. In hindsight, it went like that. But at the end of that year, then I was got an opportunity to then get back doing what I wanted to do. So that old saying, pay the price, you know, put in the effort because you never know when it's going to pay off. And that that just, I think you summed it up beautifully with, with your story there. So I just think that's such a valuable lesson. Before we get onto your revenge and all that kind of stuff and my, and my psychological analysis of, of, uh, of, of <laughs> what went wrong, should we say, I just want to have a quick word about some of your techniques and, and, that your, and your dad and stuff, and particularly the visualization side. Now, this is something I spoke about at length with Nick Faldo, but I read that sometimes your dad would get you to drive all the way, let's say, to like Newcastle or something like that, just so that you could see where you would fight. And you'd be like, why have we driven all the way here? It, it get you there so that you could visualize yourself being in that situation, fighting and winning. Yeah. So you clearly like visualization for you is a is a massive thing, isn't it? So visualization is um, it's a term what's brought to light more often these days in, in different sports fields. Certainly, when I've been reading, you know, books, including that one Legacy you talked about there. But I didn't realize visualization was a thing until I got around, until around 16, 17, um, when you know, I started look, reading other people's autobiographies and going a little bit deeper. Now, as, as, as a young amateur, my dad had started getting involved with the boxing and he'd started doing a bit of coaching and whatnot. And he used to drive up to Newcastle, drive over to Liverpool, drive down to, we went, once went as far as Stevenage. <laughs> and I'm like, Stevenage from Leeds is a fair old drive, and you know we, I mean, we had a good bit of crack along the way, like bit of banter, you know, father and son bonding and whatnot. But long way just to go book a beat, um, to go book a Premier in. Now, <laughs> I mean, we didn't get. My dad's pretty old school, and we didn't get his laptop until I was until I was around sixteen, and we had yellow pages, and he'd normally phone up people, and we never shy of picking up the phone and speaking to people, but. I thought, why don't you just pick up the pick up the phone and phone and hotel and book it there? And he's like, no, I just want to. I want to get used to route. I want to get used to route. And we drive along, you know, we're talking every now and often. He'd be like, "How are you feeling? You're all right, yeah." It's not a long this drive, this. So I'm getting used to the. I'd be used to the route and the journey. Then we'd find a local hotel, and then after that, he'd say, "Come on, let's go. Let's go find venue." Now you'd always have an idea of where the venue was going to be. You know, two of a week or two in advance. So normally go down and book an hotel a week in advance. And um, my dad's got gift at Gab. So no matter who was in the, in that leisure centre, because normally it was in a leisure centre or, or, you know, like a fancy hall or whatever, he'd always be able to talk him over and, 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 you know, oh, my lad's boxing here next week. And do you mind if we have a look, love? Yeah, no worries, blah, blah, blah. I remember one time we were fighting at Liverpool Olympia, and he was brain on all all different doors, they were all locked up. And next, minute, what are you bloody hell doing? And they were like, "Oh, listen, next minute oh, they've all opened it all up, and we're we're having a look around." But it'd say, uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," looking around. Do you know where they're going to put the ring? Yeah, I think they're all about sitting the ring up there. And 
All right. Do you know where they're going to have change rooms? Come on, Josh, let's go have a look. So that's where change rooms will be. And I think they're going to use this room and that room. Right, okay. Right, right. All right, nobody's. And we'd probably spend about 10, 15 minutes around these venues, like I say, leisure centres, just having a look, going to look at change rooms and like, change rooms are change rooms. There's a, there's a shower and a toilet. Why do you need to have a look at it, Dad? But then on the week of the fight, when everyone's talking about it, when, you, when your school pals are talking about it, oh, you got a fight this weekend, aren't you, Josh? When people in the gym are talking about it, oh, you're fighting this weekend, right? It's in, yeah, championships, yeah? Then on moments when you're really quiet, when you're in bed, or for me, I used to do a lot in, in the bath, I'd sit there, close my eyes, and I was able to think of myself walking into the venue I was familiar with the surroundings. You know, it wasn't it wasn't alien to me. It wasn't something new. It wasn't something that I'd have to get ready for or prepared for. I'd been there before. I'd think of myself walking to the ring. I knew what the change rooms looked like. I could picture myself getting my hands wrapped, putting my shorts on. I'd lay in the bath and I'd start getting I'd start getting um uh, adrenaline rush. The heart'd start beating faster. I didn't realise this was a thing and but there is a little bit of science behind this that we're, we're working pictures in our mind. And uh, obviously, you know, it's what the eyes perceive. It's all pictures. So I'm, I'm, I'm creating these pictures of what I've seen. Change rooms, like I say, where the sports hall, where the ring's going to be. And I'm dealing with it. And I'm, I'm picturing what the fight's going to be. And I can see in my peripheral vision what it's going to be like outside the ring. I'm imagining all these things. A week later, when I get to the venue... I'm not as nervous as probably what I, I, I would be if I've not been there because I've experienced it. Not physically, but up there, I've experienced it. I've, I've dealt with it. And it's something that made me comfortable with, with preparing for a fight. I'd prepare, I'd prepare for how the fight's going to go, certain scenarios. And then I'd always visualise myself, my arm getting raised and that nice feeling that it gave me after. And, uh, and, and that was always a special thing to do. But that carried on into my pro career. I remember when the Leeds Arena was getting built. Now, I'm proud of where I'm from. I'm proud of being from Leeds. And um, I remember reading the Yorkshire Union Post and saying, oh, the Leeds Arena's getting built. You know, it's some of what's been missing from the city. They can have sporting events there. They can have music events there. And then online, they put a video up of a boxing match being at the, being at the arena. It was like a CGI animation video. And I thought to myself, wow. I'd love to fight there one day, you know, if they can have boxing events there, like Rick Hans had, had all them big fights in Manchester. We've we've never really had any big fights from Leeds, but well, if I could one day do something there, then, you know, who knows? And when I used to drive home from work, I used to dr- drive past the Leeds Arena every day, and I'd drive past and I'd look up at it getting built, and I'd think, wow, one day, one day I'd fight there, one day, and I'd go home. I'd sit and think, and I'd like again sat in the bath, or maybe just sat in my bedroom. Like long before I had an iPhone or a, or a or a smartphone, I'd just I'd sit and just think, and I'd kind of picture people walking up to the venue, people talking. Are you off to that Josh Warrington fight? Oh yeah, I am. I'm yeah, I'm going. I've got my tickets, oh, and and I'm just a buzz around it. Then it happened, you know. Then I've there were there were the talks of me fighting at Ellen Road for. For many, many, uh, for many years, 
First of all, very earned, then with Frank Warren. You know, it's going to happen. Josh is going to put this massive event on Leeds. And again, I visualised it. I was going down to watch Leeds United matches and I'd be sat in stands and I'd be watching the match, but it's in, in certain moments, i just disappear. And I'd picture what it'd be like. You know, a little bit of imagination have to be used, but I'd picture what it's like with a ring there and seats around the, the stands and... People walking up to it. Oh yeah, we're all buzzing for this. The, the, the stands full. And then the fight itself. I'd picture me getting knocked down, me bleeding from both eyes, me getting hurt, and I would come back from that. But I'd always finish with my arm getting raised. Always finish with my arm getting raised. And I've got a picture on my Instagram. I'm asked to send you it when we 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 finished from this Simon, where I actually went down on the night before the fight, big fight I had at um, Ellen Road, and I I kind of. Mocked the ring walk. I did a little ring walk. They were all just setting up the ring. I got in the ring, did a bit of shadow boxing everywhere. It's empty and the stadium's empty apart from a few, you know, setting up team or putting the seats down and laying the pitch and whatnot. And I'm shadow boxing in the ring. And the next minute I get down on my knees and I'm, I'm visualizing winning. And I see myself like, and I'm telling myself, I'm the new, I'm the new. And somebody took a picture of me doing that. 24 hours later, the exact same pose is, is right there and, and done. Now, Amazing. Yeah, now everybody is not going to deal with like them kind of scenarios where it's you know got a massive sporting events up or they're fighting at the, the local arena. But there's nothing wrong with giving yourself dreams and hopes and, and maybe you want a higher position in a job. There's nothing wrong with picturing yourself in that new job. Because that energy has got to go somewhere. And I feel that I think that when you should become more comfortable with that, you'll maybe conduct yourself in that in, in a manner what makes you strive towards getting that next position where it's a better place in the office or you know getting picked for, for the team. Start looking for ways to, to make that happen. Because that's what I was doing. I was just getting comfortable with that. Maybe getting you maybe getting nervous before going for an interview. Picture yourself going into that interview. Sit yourself down. Put your suit suit on tie and go sit with your partner and and have a little bit of role play or just picture yourself how you're going to talk. Picture your speech. You become more familiar with it. You know, it's like anything. Once we do things and it becomes repetitive, we don't have to think about it. How many times people start driving and when the First start the driving lesson, they're stalling, they don't know where it clutches, they don't know where gears are. Once you're driving in a few years, it's like it's like clockwork, isn't it? It just comes natural. And I think that's same with uh, you know, every, it's same with life. The more you practice it, the more you get used to it. So that's all I was doing with the visualization. And not only that, I meditate and I didn't know that would a thing. But just switching yourself, you know, laying down on a bed and just being one at the moment, thinking about scenarios what are going to come thinking about your long-term goals where you want to be it massively helps you massively helps you stay focused yeah totally agree do you know i thought i couldn't visualize for a long time and then i had this realization because i always used to do it and see myself in the third person if you can imagine so i would see myself i would see myself doing something and then once i went to somewhere i won't say where it was just in case my other half gets funny about it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I went to this place with her and instead of seeing myself separate from myself, I imagined 
I was seeing it through my eyes there, there and then. So it was me in that moment, as opposed to me seeing myself, if you yes. can understand what yeah, I mean, the I difference. Hear, yeah. I hear completely, and, the, yeah. and, and, and the emotion I felt was completely different. So I realized for me, for me to visualize effectively, I need to be seeing it through my eyes kind of now, rather than picturing myself seeing it through my eyes. Does that make sense? Yeah, most definitely. I hear you. I hear you completely. It's not always easy to do. You know, I think it takes, I think it does take a bit of time. I, I hear you because I can watch replays back of, of, of my fights on TV. And, um, you know, when I think about the fights, I think of myself in, in like you say, third person view of how the TV's cameras are picked you up. But it's a little bit different when you go back to, to first person. And, a lot of times I don't want to erase that memory first person, but it can happen quite easily when, you know, you're watching so many replays and first, especially like the, the Carl Frampton fight. I've watched them first two rounds back about a thousand times already, but putting myself in, into the um, first person moment now is, is pretty difficult. I can do it, but it, it does take some time. And it is a little bit different because you're seeing things that other people aren't seeing. Now in that third person view, yeah, thousands of people can see that because you've seen that body. But in the first person view, you're seeing things that not many people, well, no one else sees really. Because I, and you're I'm feeling seeing, them as well, yes. yeah? You're feeling them. As, it's soon that as, feeling. As, as soon as you see them, the heart rate goes up. Because I, I can, so as I'm talking to you now, I can, I'm kind of going back to that moment with Carl there. And I can, I can kind of feel it. I remember looking to him and seeing his emotion and in my peripheral vision. I can see some of my friends sat at ringside. I know that my old fellows just stood behind me here and my second in command is stood here. I can MCs just stood over here to the left hand side of me and referees stood in that corner. You know, and then it's like all these things I'm seeing and I can at the same time I'm looking at Carl, every time I look at him, my heart goes a little bit more. You know, and it's 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 it brings you back to the emotions, but I'm used to that. But you you can kind of get used to that when you haven't been in that situation, and sometimes it might take take a little bit of imagination, and sometimes it's not always going to be exactly how it works out to be. But you know, if you can picture that, then listen, I think it's a massive, powerful tool. I think I remember reading about a study in a book that I read, um, "Winners" by Alistair Campbell, and I think the the in the book that said that um, they got a lot of. Uh, basketball players to practice and they got a load to do no practice at all and then they got a load to visualise practice and after around three weeks of this study those who practised improved from around 45% those who didn't practice at all didn't improve but those who visualised had improved around something like 38% Yeah. now that's 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 phenomenal to yeah. say that you've not picked up anything physical, not taken yourself to a court and done it physical, but you saw being there. Yeah, you know, it, it just goes to show that magical things can happen up there. Yeah, definitely magical things indeed. Right, l- last couple of bits, Josh. So obviously we've we've spoken about your fight with Carl Frampton. You can see this, obviously- this is this is the picture, by the way. Oh, that's right. class! Yeah, oh, that's- mate, you got you got to send me that. That's going that's, out with. That's- that's night before, yeah, and that's the oh. next day. <laughs> that is amazing. So, night before, Friday night, around half past six at Ellen Road. The next night, amazing. Same pause. 
Mate, yeah. you've got to send me those two pictures. I will do. I will do. You've got I'll to send, send me those two that. pictures because that, that is powerful. Right, last couple of bits, uh, Josh. So we've spoken about, obviously, a big fight with Carl Frampton. So in terms of Maurizio Lara, right? So here's my theory, right? Go on, Simon. Let's so, <laughs> so, so obviously, it was a completely different scenario. Yeah. We're in lockdown. There's no one there. The fact that you were defeated was was a huge surprise. Everyone saying he was a you know he was a heavy puncher, perhaps underestimated from that point of view. But I know you've said that you you didn't feel you felt more nervous even before certain spars than you did before that fight. Yeah. But what I found was really interesting was was the bubble the week before, yeah. and obviously you're you're in this bubble. And I know that when you do training camps, you like to be able to go home and connect with your family, connect with your wife, connect with connect with your two daughters, and it enables your brain to switch off. Yes. And then, but during this bubble, so you're in there for a week, and when you go back to your room, you're still thinking about the fight. So the fight, the fight, the fight. So there was no switching off. Yes. And then I I think we underestimate how much energy just thinking and not switching off takes. Again, I mentioned John Kerwin a little bit earlier. He talks about this, about he says, um, he uses this lovely uh, story analogy where he goes, um, you know, if your computer isn't working at work and you ring IT and go, oh, my computer's on the blink. What's the first thing they say? They always say, turn it off and turn it on again, right? And it and invariably it works. And we need yeah. to do the same with our brain, right? Yeah. And my feeling was that you didn't get the chance to do that. Yeah. And so that's why clearly when you got out to the fight, you you weren't as up as you normally are. You perhaps the energy was a bit lower because everyone was saying that, that you didn't have that same energy about you. That's my theory. So I reckon the next time around, if there was, if you had to go into a bubble, you need to find that way of switching off. But does that resonate a little bit with you? Yeah, most definitely, mate, most definitely. Now, there's there's a lot of uh, little factors just like that. Why I was like I was, but certainly in the mindset kind of things. Mindset is a massive thing, and I've always wondered what separates us. What separates us when, it, when you've got two evenly matched lads? Speed, power, fitness, skill set. What is that difference? What how come one lad just be able to give up a little bit more and it's, it's just up there, it's up there. Now, me for mindset, it's always been a massive part of my tool. I think it's got me to the stage where, where I'm at now, you know, I don't think I'd have been a world champion if I didn't have the mindset that I had. And I've had to adapt it, like I said to you earlier, over the years of, uh, you know, fighting in small laws to going to big crowds. How do you deal with the pressure of so many people screaming and shouting? How do you deal with expectation? And this situation was a little bit different, fighting without any fans there. Now, some people say, you might get beat because no fans there. Maybe, you know, some of that might be might be right. But I think a lot of it for that week was exactly what you said there. So for me, I don't go away for, for, for fights. I don't go away for training camps. I've had to fight abroad before. But when... You know, I've done immediate obligations or I've done an open workout. I can go back and I'll be with people I can just relax with. Being in that bubble was nothing I've ever experienced before. For instance, I was down there. As soon as I arrived at the hotel, I got the I got an adrenaline rush. I got an adrenaline rush like, a, like I do when I'm fighting the next day. So and I'm, even though I'm fighting Leeds, I, st- I stayed in the hotel the night before. So when I arrived at the hotel, I, I got a build-up like, I'm fighting tomorrow, but I still had to fight four more days there 
in, in the bubble. So that started early. Then, you know, I spent 12 hours isolated to my room before I was allowed to come out. When I was out of my room, I had to keep a persona on because my opponent could walk past at any moment. You know, we had we had um, social room, we had a game room, we had a we had a restaurant area, but other fighters walking past constantly. You know, the, a member of Sky Sports would walk past. A journalist might walk past who was doing the bubble with us. Mike Costello did bubble with us this time and uh, a fair few other journalists were doing it. Another trainer might walk past who might, you know, tell, you know, your opponent some news or... So you, you're always keeping your back up. You're always putting a persona on to, to stay switched on, you're alert. But then you go back to your room to escape and it's you and your thoughts. You know, it's you and your thoughts and... Everyone who's there with you in your team is all feeling the same kind of pressure because they're all there, you know, head on the boxing, head on the fight on this Saturday. It's not like when I come home in normal circumstances, I come come home to my kids and it's daddy. I'm no longer Josh Warrington, the boxer or this whatever. It's it's just daddy. You know, they don't give a chuff that I'm fighting on Saturday and, you know, in front of thousands of people. They don't give a chuff if, you know, win or lose my belt. They don't give a chuff if people have got money on me. I'm just, I'm just daddy. And I'm, I'll need to make some daft noises to make them laugh. You know, it's, it's a distraction. And I'm switching off right there. And that's why I, I don't like to go away for camps because I'm Josh to my missus and I'm daddy to my kids. And that was a, a distraction. So when it comes to the fight night, I'd burnt so much mental energy in that week that I never felt it in change rooms. Normally, when I go to change rooms, it's like, it's on now. But it's been on for the last four days. It's been get ready for the last four days. So without me realising it, I've kind of got accustomed to it, maybe a little bit burnt out from it. I'm stood behind um, behind the back, backstage, uh, behind the setup, and I'm laughing and joking with, with Ralph, the floor manager, who's radioing through him. We're live, Josh. We're gonna you're gonna go up onto ramp in ten seconds, and I'm laughing and joking about not falling over and this and the other. Where normally I'd have horse blinkers on, I'd be focused, I'd be look like I'd be able to run through walls. This one, I look like I'm about to go on piss with my mates. You know, I do finally get onto stage and I'm up there, and where I normally see people's faces all screaming and shouting, "Come on, Josh!" I'm just like looking about. I can see just people in in hazmat suits and, and people with masks on the face and just the judges. And it's deathly silent. There's no rush of adrenaline. There's no, this is it, this is what comes down to this moment. It's like, here we go. I get in the ring and not a lot of people know this, but I was scheduled to fight eight weeks later. If I would get through that fight, then I was going to have a big unification fight with uh, Kanju eight weeks later. I'm looking at him thinking, just get through this one. And we're into the next one. Bouncing off at ropes where normally it's like, this is life or death for me. There's no way I'm letting you, and there's no way I'm letting you beat me. There's no way this is it. It would go all this training into this one moment. I'm looking and thinking, yeah, just get through this fight and uh, on we go. So here we go. Even in the fight, Simon, killer instincts were kind of flat. I've gone out, first 10 seconds, bam, 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 bam. I've hurt him. He's on back foot. But I've kind of thought to myself, oh, I'll warm into that. I'll warm into it. Did I think like that against Carl Frampton? No. I didn't warm into it against Carl Frampton. It was 100 mile hours straight away. 
I got this guy hurt and I'm thinking I'm warming to it. That killer mindset wasn't there. It was kind of less like relaxed, taking it for granted. Whereas he had an opportunity there. He was going to change change his life. He was like going over there. It was meant to lose. But no way was he going to let that happen. He was going to let uh, throw absolute everything at me. And that's what he did. And in, in little portion, proportions where I was taking it for granted and maybe a little bit burnt out mentally, that, oh yeah, I'll just get through it. He took percentages away from me and he capitalised on that. Before you know it, three, four rounds, it's a, it's a level fight because he's built confidence. He's warmed into it. He's hit me with clean shots for last three or four rounds. I've taken him. He's damaged, hitting me punch resistance. And next minute, I'm in, I'm in backside looking at the, the lights. Do you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can more, most definitely say that a lot of what you've you said there had an effect on how I prepared for it mentally. Just a couple of things that sprung out then, really, from what you've just been saying is t- two things for me. First of all, the importance of switching off, right? And that can be applied to anyone. I know course, I do yeah. this. If I've got loads of work on, my impulse is just to work, 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 work. But what happens is my actual productivity, my output just goes way down. So it's much better to work and then switch off. Work, switch off, because you're so much more efficient, right? And you weren't able to do that. So I think that's a valuable lesson for you know anyone can relate to. Just, just graph, graph, graph is not the answer. And then secondly, actually harnessing the power of nerves harnessing the power of adrenaline which some people be like oh i don't you know i'm not used to this feeling this oh this is this is me feeling scared or whatever no that's that's an important feeling to have if you're going to perform to your very best and you didn't have it there right yeah most most definitely uh you know say it often often mike tyson uh, said it in past where you know fire adrenaline is like a fire and too much of it can you know kind of burn you it can burn you, do damage, but just the right amount, you can have a beautiful blaze. What can do, you know, equate to many things, cooking food and warmth. And uh, it's right there. Like you say, people might be scared of that feeling, but adrenaline's a, 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 it's a natural, it's a natural thing of the body. It's an hormone and it's a release of the body. What makes you sharper, makes us reactions a little bit quicker, makes us thinking flow a little bit better. You've got to harness it, but same breath there. You have got to have them breaks. You have to got to have them breaks and be able to switch off from it. Yeah. You, I, I know firsthand when after the fight, you know it's nice to have that break. But as soon as I have that break, a few weeks later, I'm missing boxing and I'm like, I'm I'm thinking about boxing like when I first picked up the gloves. I'm excited. I want to try this. I want to try that. Then when you get like halfway through the camp, you think, bloody hell, another session, another session, another session. It gets a bit tedious. So in often. Yeah, 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 yeah. Often what we do in, in our camps is they'll say, you know what, drop off for a few days, drop off for a few days, have a little bit of a break, switch off. I don't want you picking up your phone or anything like that. I'll do it on my social media, you know, just come come off it completely and have someone else run it for me a few days, just because it just gives you, you know, that bit of relief from it. And uh, you, you need it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You need it. Switch the computer off, as J.K. would say. Yeah, right. Final final there. question for you then. It's such a good point, isn't it? Final final question for you then, Josh. How are you feeling about the rematch? And I'm guessing you're feeling very confident, to be quite honest, between you and me. Yeah, most definitely. I'm. Uh, if I had to fight in, behind closed doors again, I'd, I've experienced it. 
and I've learned from that. I know from where I went wrong and I know from certain emotions how to deal with them a little bit better. I know what I'd do differently in the initial stages of leaving the change rooms to getting in the ring. When I look look at it as like statistic factors, is Mauricio Laura as big a puncher as a Kiko Martinez and Isashi Amagasa, um, a Carl Frampton? No, I don't think he is. Has he got the same boxing ability as a Carl Frampton, Lee Selby, a Kid Gallard? No, I don't think he does. I don't think I've dropped down a level overnight or in the 12-month bubble. I don't think I've dropped down that level, you know. I don't think you you can just drop from Premier League to League One that quickly. And that's no disrespect to Mauricio Laura, but I feel that 99 times out of 100, I beat him. With the exception of uh, of being February 13th when he beat me. And I I, um, I feel very, very confident of, of, of you know getting the rematch. I just look at that fight and I watch it back, back a little bit frustrated. A little bit frustrated when I'm thinking, why are you doing that? And why are you doing that? But in the same breath, I know why I did them and I know the feeling of when I was in there and when I was doing them. I knew it was wrong, but I was just missing a fair few things. So when the rematch comes, I know the same kind of mentality I'll need for delivering an A-class Josh Warrington. My feeling is it's going to be a very different fight. I'm excited for you, put it that way. Thank you. Man. But listen, uh, I just want to say, Josh, it, it really has been a pleasure talking to you. You said at the start, you know, much like Carl, what you see is what you get. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. You're a really humble bloke. I've, I mean, you've, you've shared some really valuable lessons. I've really enjoyed talking to you. So I can only just say thank you and just... Um, you're a top bloke and it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate that. appreciate that. And uh, I think it's too late in my career to start bringing out one-liners like Conor McGregor at, um, um, you know, at press conferences or, or chucking tables like some other fighters do to, to get a pipe. I think I've just carried on with the same persona because I realise that boxing can change with one punch. And um, I set off myself, it's, it's in early stages, I set myself goals I wanted to be British champion and when I was British champion then I wanted to be European champion when a European champion I wanted to go on and you know become world champion but it, the, 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 it's over a long period of time you know but it's it's baby steps and you're still the same person but then without realizing your profile gets bigger and bigger and bigger and uh, I still feel like I'm I'm the same person as I am when when I first started boxing I do realise that I have got the contacts to be able to be a bit more privileged and certain luxuries that other people don't get. But I still feel like the same old person, do you know what I mean? And I go around shopping in you know, city centre and I might be with myself and people are like, where's your entourage? Where's your entourage? And it's like, listen, when boxing's over and done with, no matter if I went on to become a, a te- television personality or whatever else, or a, a sports pundit, I'd be the same old person because it's conveyable. You know, somebody's art and the next person's art. You know, end of day, we're all human beings, mate. We're all human beings. Uh, Do you know, I actually think that's the most important point. And that's the thing I want to get across the most, I think, throughout my series with the book and everything like that is no matter what you achieve, you are the same person. You aren't any better than whoever's next door or posting the letters through your door or you know, suffering at a hospital, wherever they may be, we're all on a par. But that doesn't also mean 
don't strive to make the best of yourself at the same time. Those two things are, are, are mutually it's a exclusive. But it's, it's a fine, a fine balance. balance. But, and I think you do it. I think you do it brilliant. I think you said it, said it so well there. You are the same person, but at the same time, you've strived to be your best the whole time. And I think those two things are, are, are what it's all about. So yeah, just, just again, Josh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, mate. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, mate. Top man, top man. Thanks very much for listening to this episode with Josh Warrington. Some of the key takeaways for me from this conversation include the importance of making good choices, even when you feel like you're not making progress at the speed you would like, because you just never know how far you are from breakthrough. Remember the importance of taking breaks and switching off and harnessing the power of visualization before an important event is a massive advantage. I'd love to hear which lessons impacted you the most as I will then select them for a new feature, which is a shorter episode, which I'm releasing at the end of each week, focusing on one specific lesson from podcasts past and present. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm at Simon Mundy, M-U-N-D-I-E on social media. And finally, are you signed up to my newsletter yet? Monday on a Monday this week, I'm talking about visualization and how to get out of your own way to let your nervous system settle, among other things. Every week, three of the best life lessons from three years of these interviews. Anyway, that's it for now. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.